Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like the Skylight Frame. The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy. This episode contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, December 8th, the holiday food edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who's nine and a half, and we live in LA. I'm Zach Rosen. I make the Best Advice Show podcast, and I am the dad to Noah, who's five, and Ami, who's two. We live in Detroit. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom of three littles, Henry, who's 10, Oliver, who's eight, and Teddy, who's six. We live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Today on the show, we're going to talk about how to navigate feeding your kids around the holidays. Elizabeth speaks with registered dietitian and author Megan McNamee. Some of you may be familiar with her work. She's half of the Feeding Littles team. She and feeding therapist Judy Delaware offer courses, have a cookbook, and run a popular Instagram account. So Megan is here and she's going to offer some advice to help you and your family get through the holidays. Then on Slate Plus, we discuss what to do when someone criticizes your parenting style. Here's a sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. I wish I had the grace to say it like that. I just feel like that gives them more buy-in than they even deserve for the most part. Like, this is a choice I make. Like, you're in the line with the grocery store. I don't know (laughs) you. (laughs) If you've been enjoying our show but would really like to listen uninterrupted by pesky ads, the best way to do that is to sign up for Slate Plus. You'll never have to listen to another ad from our show or any of your other Slate babes again. Also, you can now gift Slate Plus to friends or family. What's better than gifting yourself or a loved one some entertainment and community and news? You can sign up for Slate Plus now at slate.com slash mom and dad plus. All right, we're going to catch up on our week in parenting, but not before a quick break. We'll see you here in a second. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now. All right, let's get this thing started. Zach, do you have a triumph or a fail for us today? It's a fail. We noticed a couple of weeks ago, Noah was like uh, holding her ear intermittently and complaining about some ear pain. Uh, we thought maybe it was like an earwax buildup. Just hoped that it would go away. It didn't go away. Uh, we took her to Shira's clinic. You know, Shira's a physician. And one of her colleagues looked with an otoscope. Didn't see anything troubling. So we were just like, all right, this maybe it's just earwax again. I don't know. Um, but like the pain wasn't so bad that it was like, like she was still going to school. It was just kind of sporadic. And then this weekend we went to our friend's birthday party, which was at an indoor pool. The party was on Saturday and then like starting Monday morning, the pain seemed to be getting much worse. It got to the point where like I picked Noah up from school yesterday afternoon and I walked up to the gate and I just like saw her. It was a, almost as if like her shoulder was glued to her left ear. Like she was just clearly oh. just like cover, covering the ear and mm. I felt so bad. I'm like, oh my God, how did I send her to school with this ear pain? We got a doctor's appointment for this coming, for like four days from now, because the pediatrician was really busy. Um, but once I saw her standing like that, um, that poor thing, I was like, no, we need to, we need to take her in now. And fortunately, there's a clinic that's actually open Monday afternoons in in our area because taking her to the ER, like we were, we just thought like, man, we're going to be waiting. Like pediatric ERs right now are especially crowded. This doesn't seem to be an emergency, but we took her to this clinic. Um, yesterday evening, Shira took her and it turns out that what it probably is, is otitis externa, which is also known as swimmer's ear, which is just like an inflammation, painful infection of the outer ear. And like starting yesterday and into today, it, the pain for her has just been excruciating. She's just been like writhing and it's been the saddest thing to see. Um, compounded by she needed to call like 10 pharmacies uh, to get the antibiotic and the steroid, um, which like so few of them had, which scared the shit out of me. Finally, we got her the medicine, but it wasn't for like 24 plus hours after she started to really feel the serious pain. So just this feeling of helplessness of just like, we've been giving her Tylenol and Motrin um, in the interim, but just like not being able to do anything for her as she's just like seriously screaming in pain, um, not persistently, but for like, you know, five and 10 minute bursts, having a hard time sleeping. We just have felt so bad for her. We finally got the eardrops in her like a couple hours ago. She's home right now. She stayed home from school. 
Shira's here too, so I haven't heard any screams <laughs> since we <laughs> since we started recording. Thank goodness. Um, but I think it might take like a couple days for the drops to to really start taking effect. But man, just the the feeling of helplessness when there's there's not much you can do for your kid uh, is one of the most heartbreaking things I can feel. And this is such like a micro example of it, but my heart goes out to all the parents who have like seriously chronically sick kids who just have to like sit there and hold their kids in pain when there isn't something in the short term they can do for them. Uh, this was just like an example of uh, just, just that, that terrible feeling. So um, I, I hope she's going to be doing better in the next couple of days, but swimmers ear, man. It's no joke. It's, there's something about the ear, I think, because it's like connected to so much that it just is really <laughs> painful. Yeah, really, so really close painful. to that brain. I do, um, not to make light of your poor daughter's situation. Make but light. I, I do feel better knowing that you're married to a doctor and you still How do you didn't think I feel, get the Elizabeth? diagnosis <laughs> right. Oh, 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 yes, I see what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> No, I'm just totally. like, for those of us, right. for, for us mere mortals dealing yeah. with sickness, I feel yeah. like what we can take is like, listen, even if you were a doctor, you may not always know what's mm -hmm. going on with your child. Mm -hmm. And it's okay. Like, it's, it's all right, guys. <laughs> totally. We are failable. We fail. Yeah. So yeah. thanks. Thanks, Shira, for making us all feel <laughs> like better, better parents. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Elizabeth, what about you? Do you have a triumph or a fail? I don't know whether it's a triumph or a fail, but we discovered yesterday that Teddy's teacher has <laughs> basically, they've been having like a series of miscommunications. Okay, so he, Teddy goes to school one day a week at a homeschool academy that's like just up the street from our house. And admittedly, we have been gone a lot. So like next week is the last week of this this term or whatever of homeschool academy so he sees this teacher once a week but probably less than that you know i think when kids talk to teachers you just i just always kind of assume like well we don't believe everything he says about his teacher and his teacher's mm -hmm. not gonna believe everything that's like that they, he says about us and about our family right like that's kind of the understanding mm -hmm. right this is a six-year-old um and it's teddy so it, it started that jeff went to pick him up and we um, often take our Bachfeets, which is like our Dutch cargo bike um, because it's not too too far um, from there. Pretty much everyone else uses the carpool line just the way that it's set up. But because we usually take the bike, we couldn't take the bike this week because someone left a piece of barbed wire over the bike path and we drove the Bachfeets over it and it takes a special tire. It's a giant mess. So um, Jeff drove to pick him up, but then left the car. He, like, parks the car and walks to get him because Teddy's kind of expecting us to walk up. And the teacher came up and said, your son is insisting that he's Dutch. And <laughs> Jeff was like, well, yeah, he was born in the Netherlands. Um, and she's like, it just occurred to me that you bike here. And he was really excited in class on, on Monday because the... Um, the Netherlands had beat the USA in the World Cup, the Men's World Cup. And so uh, he was, like, talking with his little school friends about this. And mm -hmm. uh, she was like, huh, I keep telling him he's mistaken. <laughs> and Jeff's like, no, no, no. He's he's like, we're not Dutch, but he was born in the Netherlands. And he, he you know, we call him, like, our little Dutch baby, like, things like that. So, okay. So we sort of wrote it off. We get an email later 
uh, where she says, like, here are some other things he's been saying <laughs> that I now, upon consideration, think might be true. One of which he had told us on this, we were out on this full moon walk where we, like, go into the woods with a full moon and we walk because you can kind of see the path and we look for animals. We're always too loud to see any animals. But on the walk back, he had said, I want to tell you about my day. Something weird happened. He had brought in, like, one of the pictures from our polar bear trip to show the class. And he, you know, one of the students said, like, is this real? And he was like, yes, this is a real polar bear. And mm-hmm. the teacher's like, well, yes, this is a picture of a real polar bear. But Teddy didn't see the polar bear. And Teddy's like, I did see the polar bear. Like, we took this picture. And, you know, she was like, oh, yeah, you printed the picture from the internet. And he's like, no. I saw the polar bear. I took this bear. picture. Yeah. And then he brings out, you know, in his six-year-old mind, he brings out his, like, notebook, his, like, nature <laughs> notebook. And is like, see, I drew a picture of the polar bear. <laughs> You know, like, how how else can I demonstrate to you? I was there. I drew the polar bear. My mom took this picture. Um, so she was basically emailing us <laughs> saying, like, I now think that maybe I have been telling Teddy that none of these things <laughs> that he's telling us are true, uh, when in fact maybe they are. So I think, you know, to me, I felt sort of like, well, this is my fault because when I have called him in or when I've emailed with the teacher, I've just been like, now ah, we're going to be gone. Like, I, I don't spend a lot of time. And because none of the other parents, like, get out and talk at carpool, I don't really talk with the teacher. Like, my other two kids, the way drop-off works is that we're all kind of standing around and the teacher comes out. So there's more opportunity to say, like, oh, he's going to be gone and this is what we're doing or um, exchange some information. But because of the way this homeschool academy works, there's just none of that. And I think for a lot of people, it's just a... This is one day a week that I that the kid is kind of gone, you know, mm-hmm. and they're not really trying to foster community among the parents and the and the students in the same way that a that a more traditional school might be. So I do feel like, oh, maybe I should have been more specific. <laughs> but she said, I mean, she said like I'm going to apologize to Teddy because we don't want him to feel like he's not believed when he says these things. But I just feel bad. I feel he sort of was like, eh, whatever. Um, but I feel bad about the whole thing and and what I could have done to sort of, <laughs> you know, be like, oh, here are some things you should know about this kid that he might talk about. I just wonder what other things she might be questioning. <laughs> well, it is Teddy. It's possible that a lot of the things he says is not true. <laughs> How about you, Jamila? Try him for fail this week. Uh, I have a big old fail for today. Um, so I set two alarms for myself in the morning. Six. This is the current wake up time. It changes every now and again. But mm-hmm. I set one for six. And then I have one set for 610. And then at 610, what I do is I set an alarm for 635. I don't know why I don't just set the 635 <laughs> alarm. You sound like my wife. Going forward. Like, just why isn't it set right now? But that's just what I do. So you're manually setting the 635 yeah. at manually 610 every day? At 610. Okay. I'm okay. like, okay. I got until 6.10. If I'm feeling a little daring, I might give myself until <laughs> 6 six us, because I wake Naeem up when I wake up. I might give us until 6.45. You know, we got to be out of the house by about 7.50. Um, so I today did not set the 6.10 alarm. So when the 6.10 alarm went off, that was you did not set the next alarm. I did not set the next <laughs> alarm. And it made me wonder, how has this not happened sooner? 
Because this is a terrible system. <laughs> system, yeah. Uh, so I'm revising that I will be setting a 635 alarm before bed tonight. Should we make it, you know, you just do it right now. I'll and do hit, it right and now. Right now. Set it right Wait, now. Wait, so what time, and what time did you wake up? I woke up at seven o'clock. Did you make it? Um, she was about ten minutes late. Oh, so I mean, it was, in the noise, yeah, it, it could have been worse. But you know, we were late yesterday too, so <laughs> not starting the week off great. Yesterday we were like intentional. Yesterday I gave us extra sleep. We were both tired. Naima had taken a sleep gummy, and she took it later than I thought she should have. And she assured me she was like, "Mommy, I'm I just can't sleep," you know. And I was like, yeah. "Oh my gosh," you know, like, "Well, that's bad." You know, but I was just like, I think it's a little bit late in the evening for you to be taking this, you know, and against my better judgment. But a serving is one to two. So I'm like, okay, she had one. Really, she should have took a half of one. But sure enough, in the morning, she was still a little tired. So I gave her an extra 30 minutes of sleep, which meant that she was ended up being about 15 minutes late for school. So we still didn't do too bad. But we're now two days in a row, baby. We're that family. It's okay, Jamila. It's all right. All right. Well, on that note, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, we will dive right into our interview. Talking about money can be so hard, especially when the person you're talking to is still learning how to do long division. That's why Million Bazillion, a webby winning podcast from Marketplace, is here to help. I'm Bridget. And with my fellow co-host, Ryan, we help teach your little ones about complex topics like bankruptcy, climate change, and why there's so much gold at Fort Knox, and so much more. Listen to Million Bazillion wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back. Uh, Elizabeth, tell us, why did you want to speak with Megan? Okay, well, one of the many... Um you know, perks of this job is that when you're having a problem, you can go out and find an expert and make them talk to you about the thing and claim that you're doing it for everyone else. Mm -hmm. So here we are. We're at this period between basically Halloween and New Year's to me feels like a, a burden of food, right? Like one... I'm consumed by trying to make sure that that my kids are fed, that that we are doing a good job, but that we're also enjoying like all these holiday traditions. And then we introduce family members and friends and all of these other people who have different thoughts on food. Um, and I wanted to kind of mentally prepare myself with how <laughs> to deal with holiday food and kids. Just like what mentality do I need to be in going forward as we have these meals and we encounter sweets everywhere um, to have a really healthy, positive relationship with both my kids and food? Cool. I need this interview just as much as you do. So thanks for doing it. Absolutely. Well, I hope you enjoy. And here's our conversation. Megan, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Would you mind telling listeners who you are and what you do? Sure. Well, my name is Megan McNamee. I am a registered dietitian nutritionist, and I specialize in pediatrics, in maternal child health, and eating disorder prevention. And I'm co-owner of Feeding Littles. We're so excited to have you on the show because I... I just feel like we source questions from listeners and probably sleep and feeding are the two we get the most questions about, kind of regardless of the age. Why is feeding kids so hard? 
That's a really good question. I think partially because we don't learn a lot about it. We don't have necessarily a lot of techniques to draw back on when we were little. Um, most of us, you know, remember we have to clean our plate to be excused from the table or we have to eat our veggies to get our desserts. And these don't necessarily help kids learn how to be proficient eaters. It just kind of sets them up to maybe eat more than they need or potentially hate peas that they were forced to eat at the table. So I think it's challenging because kids are naturally suspicious of new foods starting somewhere between 12 and 24 months. It's considered a normal part of development. Nobody really tells you that. And so when it happens, you think you did something wrong. You think, you know, you messed up. I think there's such a big pressure put on parents now to make, quote unquote, make our kids eat well because we we value nutrition so much differently than we used to. Like, I don't think this was a stress for our parents nearly as much as it is for us. A lot of you listening might have parents that really value nutrition and were really encouraging of you trying new things and stuff. But my mom does not remember this level of stress around it that a lot of our, a lot of our clients experience. I find now there's stress and like so much stigma attached to it. And I feel like anytime I'm forced to have a conversation with my children about nutrition, that I'm doing it, that I'm just doing it wrong. The intent is what matters. None of us are going to be perfect with this. If you remember to keep weight and appearance out of the discussion about nutrition, then that's 99% of it right there. So we were taught to eat well because it would, quote, make you thin. Or you could only eat certain things if you had a certain type of body. If we stay away from that kind of messaging and we connect food back to how our kids function and feel, then that's, that's the battle right there. We're obviously headed into the holiday season. So I want to talk a little bit about handling food situations that come up a lot during the holidays. And the first, at least for me, is kind of this idea of like potlucks and shared foods. I feel like when I'm at home and I can control the situation, right? Like I have foods that I know the kids eat that I know are good fuel for their body. And I can make sure that that is presented <laughs> on on a plate. You know, if there are carrot lovers, there's, there's always carrots kind of available, those sort of things. Do you have tips for now you're at, you know, your in-law's house or you're at a, you know, holiday party and this is going to be your kid's meal, but none of the food is familiar? Yes. And that's so tricky. And keep in mind too, that holiday meals can be very overwhelming for a picky eater or just a, a newbie, right? Because it's completely different sight, sounds, taste, textures, everything. So it's okay if your kid literally just eats the bread and butter for dinner or the mashed potatoes. I know people worry about that. Like, oh my gosh, no, a kid can survive on bread and butter for a meal. Trust me. <laughs> they will be just fine. Um, I think more than worrying necessarily about, you know, if it's balanced or are they they going to try all these different things, try to focus more on the experience. We want to teach our kids that holiday gatherings and holiday meals are their family, their tradition, they're how we celebrate each other. We do go through certain rituals that are special to our family. And even if you're not ready to eat those foods yet, involve them in the cooking if you can, or teach them about how you like to cut the turkey or show them grandma's favorite stuffing and what it, you know, what it looks like, what it smells like. They might not be ready to try it, but just focus more on the experience than the actual food and eating it, that food itself. And they'll have positive connections to it. And the next time you have that meal again, they might be a little bit more willing to try, but it's not the end of the world. If they don't want to eat it right now, it's not forever. They'll probably love it when they're a little bit older. That's great advice to remember, too. It's like just one 
one of the times they're getting food in this day. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay if they freak out. It's okay if they have to go to bed before the whole meal happens. Like you just have to do what you need to do to kind of get through that day. Sometimes with little kids, yes, it's great if there's a familiar food for them, but it doesn't have to be that one, you know, super nutrient rich food that they love. It can be literally anything that, that they want to enjoy. Like I said, if they just want the mashed potatoes, which also have nutrition in them, like awesome, have some mashed potatoes. What do you do about the sweets that are everywhere this time of year? I, I, this is something I struggle with because I feel like no matter where we go, people are offering the kids have a piece of candy. You know, like everyone's got a little candy basket. Everyone, uh, every meal now is going to have all these desserts. How are, how are you handling that? How should we be handling those moments? I think our culture has taught us that like sugar is evil and you shouldn't have any of it. And some of you listening might completely agree with that. And might, this might sound crazy to you, but food is more than just nutrients that go into your body. Food is a very strong psychological component as well. And when we tell ourselves that we're not allowed to have something, the first thing we want, the first thing we go for is that thing we've said is off limits. So there's some structure around this. It's not like, hey, let's just give them candy all day, every day, because they won't function well that way. They won't feel good well that way. And that's not a normal way to live. You don't probably eat candy all day either. You know that you need fuel and energy to, to go about your, your tasks. So what we recommend is you, know, you get to still decide when to serve that food. So you don't have to serve it with every meal if you don't want to. Now, if you're going somewhere though, and there it is served, just try not to make a big deal out of it. Don't make it a fight. Don't make it something that you bargain over, that you bribe them over. Because what you actually inadvertently do is you elevate that food to something really special. If you say, well, you have to eat all of your food to get this candy, then all the other food is, eh, and the candy is very special, right? You're also kind of teaching them to ignore their internal cues of fullness when you do that. If they're not hungry for every single bite on their plate, yet they know they have to eat it to get something they really want... Now they're going to start ignoring that. They're going to ignore what their body's telling them. So instead, make it make it neutral. Say you go to a grandma's house and there's cookies. You can even serve a cookie with their meal. It sounds counterintuitive, but it actually helps alleviate some of that special quality of that food and makes everything kind of on the same playing field. They're going to eat the cookie anyway. <laughs> Why does it matter if they eat it at the beginning, middle, or end? And you might be surprised. Oftentimes kids will just, they'll eat it a few bites and then they'll go on and eat other things on their plate. It's just not nearly as special when we don't elevate it so much. But in efforts to reduce sugar in our kids' lives, what sometimes we end up doing is making it something they sneak or hoard or binge because they see it as so off limits. So including sugar in your kid's diet in a neutral way, just serving it when you decide to serve it and don't serve it when you decide not to actually helps them learn how to manage and be around sugar because they're not going to be under our roofs forever. And my kids are older now. They're um, nine and seven. They're not old, old yet. Thank goodness. Cause I feel like they were just babies a second ago, but they're on their own for a lot of food decisions. Now I care as much about my kids relationship to food as I care about what they eat. Do you have any tips for mealtime attention, focusing on the meal? Um, again, something that may be easy to control at your house when you're plating things or putting them on the table or you have your typical culture of how you're going to eat a meal as a family or, or whatever that looks like. It seems like now we get into the season where that, that changes and sometimes having, you know, the meals are a little bit longer 
do you expect the kids to sit the whole time? Do you <laughs> expect them to try everything on their plate? Like, w- what kind of little rules or thoughts can we have? Or is it like, it's holiday, whatever? <laughs> That's a great question. And I think it really depends on the culture of your family. Realize first and foremost that most toddlers, if you have a really young kid, they can only handle sitting in the high chair for five, maybe 10 minutes. And that's not because they're unruly or bad or anything wrong with them. That's just how they're naturally hardwired because they're designed to want to move. So the clock starts when you put them in the chair. The more opportunity they have to kind of get the wiggles out right before you put them in the chair and then having the meal ready right when you eat the better. So I know it's kind of annoying because you want to contain them, but you can literally have them do a little job for you. Bring napkins over to the table. Maybe they um, they bring the ketchup over or whatever sauce you're using as long as they can't break it and hurt themselves. That gives them a job. It gets them interested in the meal and then allows you to kind of get everything finalized before you sit them down to eat because that's when you know, you're going to have the best attention for the next five to 10 minutes max. If you're at somebody else's house, it can be hard because their rules might be different than yours. And that's okay. And it's okay for kids to learn like, hey, we do this differently somewhere else. We still recommend not forcing kids to eat. Even if you're at grandma's house, you know, obviously we consider it polite to try all the foods on our plate. A two-year-old doesn't get that. And we don't want them to try or be forced to eat something that they're, they're just not ready for. It can be tricky with other people that don't get this. And you can say things like, you know, we're not forcing him to eat. We're, we're putting it on his plate. We'll see if he eats it or not. But he gets to choose what goes in his body. Or, you know, if you have a really aggressive, you know, uncle or someone that's making them eat, you can just say, it's okay. You know, it's okay. I only expect them just to sit here for a little bit. They don't have to eat everything on their plate. They're not ready for that. We're working on it. It's okay. Sometimes people just don't know any different and that's what they did with their kids and they just kind of think that that's what you want done too. But put yourself in your kid's shoes. It's a completely different environment. They might not have a lot of familiarity with these people. The food tastes and looks absolutely differently than it always has. It's kind of scary and overwhelming and it's okay if they're not into it right now. I have three kids and one of them uh, is in food therapy. Some of the things you're saying ring really true to me because he's been really encouraged to just like, or I guess really we have been <laughs> encouraged to to allow our middle child to just like play with the food, like just tolerance of it on his plate are things that, that we have been working on and having, you know, other people that are over to dinner that are like, why is he making a face out of his food? And it's like, well, that's where he's having it on his plate, like having to explain like these are, are things that we just are doing differently to nurture that relationship (laughs) with food, even when people think it's weird. And even if you're not in feeding therapy, that is one of the things we teach in our course. We literally talk about how there's multiple steps to eating. And the first is actually allowing the food to stay on your plate. And that's a big win for people who have really picky eaters who wouldn't even go near something, wouldn't even want it near them. If they allow it to stay there, that's one step closer to actually eating it potentially one day. And we were taught it's not polite to play with your food, don't mess with your food. But actually, kids learn about their world through play and touch and experience. So when they get a chance to play with their food and explore it with their hands, even if they don't eat it just yet, that's yet another step along the path to learning how to eat it one day. If your kid's willing to play with it, they might put it in their mouth. Maybe they'll spit it out again, but at least they're getting there. So you can remind you know your family members at the table Hey, we're just, we're working on it and you can blame it on us. You can blame it on, you know, Judy and Megan feeding littles just say that this is good and we're, we're on a path right now. It's okay if he just plays with his peas and he doesn't have to eat it. 
how do you know where that line is between like, I need extra help and this is normal? I think that a parent's gut instinct is probably the most important, the most powerful out of everything. There's obviously some things that, you know, Judy would look at in assessing a child and I can explain a few of them, but I mean, I just talked to a mom this week who said at her one-year appointment, she was telling her doctor, my baby is only eating pureed foods. He won't tolerate anything different. Two-year appointment, same thing. Three-year appointment, same thing. And the doctor kept saying, well, just keep working on it. Just keep working on it. Well, that at that point, you know, I would have said by 12 months, if your baby cannot tolerate any other texture, that should be something that we would look at. Uh, some professional would look at. Um, definitely by two. Oh my gosh, by three. By this now, you know, she she has a four year old that can't eat anything except pureed textures, and that's so defeating for her because she knew there was something wrong, and she wasn't getting the help and support she needed. So, with that being said, if you feel like you need a second opinion, not just you know from your pediatrician, but from anything you're dealing with with your kid, it's okay to seek another another professional's expertise. If you are in feeding therapy and it's not sitting with you well, it's okay to try somebody else. But I think that it's extremely powerful for a parent to trust their own instincts here because they know their kid better than anyone else. If your child eats less than 20 total foods, and I use this example that Judy always says, Cheerios would be one food, Honey Nut Cheerios would be a second food. So people will say, oh my gosh, they don't eat that many foods. And then they think about it and they go, okay, well, they would eat white bread. They would eat wheat bread. They would eat bagels they would eat. You know what I mean? Like they can come up with at least 20 foods. If they're under 20 foods, that in and of itself right there is a sign that you might want to start asking for extra help. If they seem extremely intolerant of certain textures, if they struggle to touch something with their hands or put a certain texture in their mouth, that's another indicator we might want to get some extra help. If they've had any oral motor issues, chewing problems, swallowing issues, um, you know, maybe they were born prematurely and they had feed early feeding issues early on that just don't seem to be getting that much better, it's okay to ask for help. And Judy always uses the analogy, you know, if you break an ankle and you were struggling to walk again, you would go to physical therapy. It's okay to ask for help if you feel like things are not working and if they're trending in a direction that just keeps where they keep getting more and more selective, if mealtime becomes this major stress for you, it's absolutely something to talk to somebody about. Megan, that's such good advice. And I it goes so well with sort of the theme, I think even just of our show that we're always saying, like, it is, it, it's not your fault. <laughs> you didn't cause this. It, if you think something's wrong, like reach out, get more help, get more people on your team. And Feeding Littles is actually a wonderful place to start if any of this has sounded like, oh, this is a struggle. So we're going to link in the show notes to your website. Uh, but where else can people um, follow you, find you? Sure. We're just at Feeding Littles on all the socials, if you will. Um, TikTok is, you know, as a older millennial, I'm still hobbling my way over there. But um, Instagram is where you'll find most of our stuff at Feeding Littles. And then we also have feedinglittles.com if you want to check out any blog posts, courses, products, etc. I highly recommend it. It definitely um, is one of the things that helped us towards moving towards um, finding that food therapy was the right option for our middle child. So Megan, thank you so much for joining us. It's been such a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you so much. 
And that's it for our show. Don't forget to join us on Monday. We have a very special visitor. Our former friend, Dan Coist, is joining the show. He's always our friend, but former host Dan Coist will be joining us on Monday. And while you're at it, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. This episode of Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson and Christy Tywell Macanjula. For Zach Rosen and Elizabeth Newcamp, I'm Jamila Lemieux. Thank you for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.